first walked in, though, it's like kind of like a concert. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like it. Here we go. Nice. Father, Lord, we just uh, say thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day that you gave us and beautiful night that you gave us to come and be together to celebrate your resurrection, Father, and mm. the spirit that is in us. Lord, I just pray that each and every one of us realizes that power, takes it out into the community, and just blesses everybody. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this night. Amen. 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 Yeah. Thank you. I want to start out and read this verse to you. Um, and we'll kind of, we're going to kind of go back and forth here a little bit. And I'm actually going to just kind of, as I'm up here, just God is wooing me to change this a little bit. So um, bear with me. Hebrews 10. If you want to look at a screen or your book, you can uh, open up to Hebrews 10. If you were only going, if, if this is for folks that are first introducing people maybe to Jesus. Now, the one thing about it for the past three weeks that we've kind of taken this worldview and, and trying to help folks wonder why we as believers in Jesus believe who we believe in. Alright? Because for so many times, a lot of times when we walk through life, we, we know the answers to particular questions that people will, will ask us. But then if someone were to dig in just a little bit deeper and say, well, why do you believe that? Now, a lot of the Christian culture just kind of flees. Just mm. says, well, let me go get the paid guy mm -hmm. and let him answer that. And that's not, that's not what they're wanting. They're wanting to know from you on a Monday or Tuesday at work, why do you believe and who you believe? It's not what, it's who. And you got to get that. It's not a what, it's who. Okay? And so if you were living life with someone and they said, well, you just introduced me this thing of Christianity to me. Let them read just Hebrews 9 and 10. Just say, just go ahead and just start there and just read that. And then it's a, just a neat summation of the old. And it brings it through the new to Christ and how Christ fulfills all the old. And then sets a new tone for life. Okay? And so this is in Hebrews 10 and it's in... Uh, chapter 10, verse 9, and it says, Then he said, Look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second one into effect. And what he's saying, the old is going to be gone. It's going to be canceled. Jesus is coming. I'm fulfilling all of that. Everything that you've done for years and years and years is coming to fruition through me and I am about to do that, therefore that is going to be obsolete, and the new is living in me. It's huge. Don't drag the old into the new. He's fulfilled that. If anyone starts to try to whoop you with that, you can just tell them time out. I'd like for you to go read Hebrews 9 and 10, and we'll talk later. It says, For I have come to do your will. He cancels the first in order to put the second into effect. Verse 10, for God's will means His desire, His purpose. There's other verses in the book where it says, God desires for no one to perish. Amen. He desires for no one to perish. And yet, I don't know, if you're anything like me, you, you walk around sometimes and you, you're starting to get beat up with this book that's designed to give us freedom, and you start to get whacked with it. And what, what Jesus emptied the tomb out for was to free us. So that we wouldn't have to worry and be shackled with the have-tos anymore, but that we get to. 
And so God's desire, His purpose, His design was for us to be made holy. Now, my version doesn't have anything next to do about Bibbo. By what? Look at your book. What does it say? By the sacrifice of who? For how many times? How many times is he going to sacrifice himself? Okay, you got that, gang? Once for all time. Once for all time. And so when you start to bring all of this back, you go, well, well why and how? So that, you remember, we said, how many hearts have ever been set free from shame? You see, in the old way, you were reminded of all the stuff. You had to bring a farm load of animals with you to the temple and sacrifice them to substitute for your wrongdoing. And the priest went in time after time after time after time after time, and the poor animals substituted for your wrongdoing. Their blood, which represented spiritual life, took your place. And what Christ is saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it once, and it's going to be for all time. And so when, in essence, when you continue to ask for something, He's going, I've already given you that. When you ask for forgiveness and you keep asking for it and asking for it, Christ is going, uh, empty tomb. <laughs> empty tomb. I've, I've done that. I want you to believe it. That's what, he, that's what He desires. And so when did all that go down? So as Deb beautifully said a while ago, Friday was the crucifixion, right? you ever just mentally put yourself there in the scene? Have you? You ever wondered? You followed Him for three years? What if you were Judas's buddy? What if you were one of the ones that ran to the room that said you would never run? Would you start trying to recall things Jesus said? Or maybe you would start maybe going, golly, that didn't work. So I'm going to bring in the old. I'm going to start bringing back the old. But what I want us to do tonight is I want to focus on the Sabbath. You see, it was a day that God said, this is in Exodus, go way over to the left-hand side of your book. (coughs) Table of contents are great. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day He rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Which means He just wants that reverent. He wants it sanctified. He wants it set apart. He's dedicating that day to rest. Exodus 31, verse 13. This is God. It says, tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath day, for the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. Here's the reason why it's given. It is given so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. 
You see, a lot of times we start thinking it's whatever we do that keeps us in good standing with God. And from when God blew life into us, it's all been on Him. I'm the one that makes you holy. I'm God. I know better for you than what you know best for yourself. I blew life into you. And so he's saying, here's a sign. I want you to go about and do your life all the time. But as a sign, I want you to just kind of chill. I want you to rest. I want you to rest mentally from being in good standing with me. I believe that would have to be a piece of that for me if I lived in that time. Because I'm constantly reminded of the things and the animals that I've got to go and take and sacrifice and just wonder, God, am I okay with you? Remember? There's doubt. So he goes on and he creates this sign. One more sighting of that. It's in Ezekiel. You don't have to go there. It's in chapter 20. He says, And I gave them my Sabbath days of rest, here it is again, as a sign between them and me. It was to remind them that I am the Lord who had set them apart to be holy. Verse 20, we're going to skip down. It says, And keep my Sabbath days holy, for they are a sign, there it is again, to remind you that I am the Lord your God. And we've said this often in here, if we were to drop you in like Des Moines, Iowa, and there were no places like this, and there were none of these. And we said, we want you to find folks that love Jesus. What would the signs that you would be looking for in order to sniff people out that were like-hearted like you? I want you to think on that. What are the different signs that you would look? And one of these that God set up originally, He said, this is a sign to let everyone know. Because you got to remember, gang, the folks that were following God were surrounded by people that did not follow Him. And yet they're saying, this is what I'm going to do to let the world know that I believe God knows best for me. Does anybody, anybody in here remember that the comedian Bill Ingball? Remember him? Anyone here? Here's your sign. Remember that? You know, he was the one that... He, he said that a lot of people really should have this sign on. I don't really like this word, but... It's Bill Ingball that said it. So uh, he said, some people ought to have a sign on it that says stupid. <laughs> and he, he said, you know, it's like one time when he drove up and he had a flat tire and the guy came out and said, you got you a flat there, don't you? <laughs> and Bill said, no, the other three just miraculously blew up. Here's your sign. <laughs> and so he said, what God is saying, he said, what is your sign? Well, what about for us today? What about Jesus? How did Jesus keep the Sabbath? Or did He? And this is what I love about Jesus, man. (laughs) Jesus was constantly poking at the guys. Constantly. And so the thing is, is where I want to focus for the rest of the time is that on the Sabbath, Jesus taught a ton. Jesus was teaching on the Sabbath, in homes, in the synagogues, wherever Jesus was, He was teaching. And we even see Paul doing that. Paul going into the synagogue daily to teach. But what I want to focus on tonight is when Jesus was healing. Listen to this. Listen to these words. This is in Luke. It's in chapter 4. Verse 16, you would see these three words. On the Sabbath. 
Then Jesus stands up in the crowd of the guys and He says this. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon Me, for He has anointed Me to bring good news to the poor. He, being God, has sent Me, Jesus, to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. And He told everyone in there, and He's reading from the scroll of Isaiah, and He's reading from there, and He rolls it back up. Imagine the hush in the crowd because He's standing around all the guys that if you did anything on the Sabbath, they wanted to kill you. They weren't playing. They literally wanted to kill you. And Jesus on the Sabbath stands up, reads Isaiah 61, these words about setting captives free, And he rolls it back up, hands it to the attendant, and said, today these words have been fulfilled. Can you imagine the hush in the crowd on the Sabbath? But here's what he does best on the Sabbath. He heals. We're going to roll through these. You can just jot these down and go back to them later. Mark 3, on the day of Sabbath, we see Jesus heal a man And he asked the boys, he asked the guys that were around him, the ones that were keepers of the law, the ones that made sure you didn't do anything on the Sabbath, the one that if you did anything that looked like work on the Sabbath, they were after you. So on the Sabbath, Jesus is healing this guy and he asks them, is it a day to do evil or is it a day to save life? The boys sat in silence. Jesus said, here's your sign, and healed the man. (laughs) On another Sabbath day while He was teaching, a woman doubled over for 18 years, gang, due to an evil spirit in her, is healed that day when Jesus touches her. John 9, several rabbis on the Sabbath are on the scene discussing why a man in their midst was born blind. And they were asking each other, was he born blind because of his sins? Or was he born blind because of his parents' sin? And, and, and doesn't that sound like us sometimes? I wonder why all that's happening. And Jesus in the midst, He says, let me tell you why. He says, to show the glory of God within Him. Jesus, on the Sabbath, here's His sign to Him, places mud on His eyes, tells him to go and wash, and the, bland, the man was now blind, but now he sees right. on the Sabbath. It gets better. There's more. And so what I believe Jesus is doing is turning the Sabbath back into a holy day. See, I believe He keeps poking them in the chest to say, remember your heart? Where's your heart, fellas? You've lost your heart. You've lost the purpose of God. You've, lost, you've turned this thing back around about being about you instead of being about the Lord who makes you holy. Where's your heart in this? And He just keeps poking. And so yet on the Sabbath, Jesus is dining. <laughs> I love Him. He's in the house of the leaders of the Pharisees. These are the guys that are going to get Him. They think. And He's sharing a meal with them. And there's no boy that walks in and his arms are swollen, legs, and it's known as dropsy. I'd never heard of that. And he comes in and he asks the old religious cats one more time, is it a day to heal? And 
the boy sat in silence again. And Jesus said, here's your sign. And healed him. And Jesus continues to heal. There's another sign, and it's over Jesus' head. He's on the cross. And that sign reads, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of Jews. And it's written in languages that other folks would be able to recognize as they walk by. Was it written for mock? Or was it written because he believed it? I don't know. I'm sitting in a room full of folks that believe it. Maybe you don't. Maybe you would have been one of the guys that walked by him with that sign on over his head that says Jesus of Nazareth, King of Jews. And then maybe you would have started asking folks that did believe it. And so what's the sign? And so here's the thing. It's the Sabbath. Now guys, this is where you got to hang in here with me. The Jewish calendar is counted different than it is in our day, okay? It goes, sundown is about to hit, right? Sundown is about to hit. We're in the Sabbath. We're on a Saturday, okay? But when the sun goes down, it starts Sunday. So go back to Friday. Jesus is crucified, and when you read the Scripture, they only have a few hours to get Jesus off the cross get Him ready, get Him shrouded, by the way, in white linen. Oh, and by the way, for those that believe, that's the same wardrobe you're going to be wearing. (laughs) It's kind of cool. And so they put Him in white linen. It's royalty. And so Joseph of Arimathea says, hey, I got a hole. I got a tomb. It's mine. I'm going to give it to Him. He can have it. Just can we get Him down? And the leader said, yep, go do that. And so they just literally have hours to get Him in there so that they can observe the day of rest. And they do it. They roll the stone over it. They even put guards in front of it. And what I believe happened in that moment that Jesus was on a mission. Jesus knew at that moment that when He was put in there, then here's the words, that this was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. And so here's what I want you to think about just for a moment is that we're sitting in the Sabbath. And the rest of the world at that time is thinking Jesus is just laying in the tomb dead. I want you to remember these words, what Jesus said, because you see, I think that Jesus is in this moment that He's pulling all of eternity into this moment, and because I know that He is, and as He's pulling all of eternity into this moment, He's saying, I will put an end to their annual festivals. I will, have, I will reset the new moon celebrations. I will put an end to the Sabbath days and all her appointed festivals. And what He is saying, He's, look gang, He told this in Mark. He said, the Sabbath was made to met made to meet the needs of people, not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people. Jesus knew our biggest need was spiritual life. And so in that moment, in the tomb, Jesus goes down to the depths of hell. And He has the biggest fight ever. He opens up the biggest can of whoop-ass ever on the devil, on the Satan. And He goes down there and gets that and says, I'm getting the keys to life. I'm getting the keys to death. And I'm coming both out out of here. And when that sun goes down, that's the risen Savior up and going at it. And I believe it sounded just like this. Woo!